welcome to EPAR Trade Live. And uh, this one is special. So we have two gentlemen here that uh, we're going to talk really racing history. So you, you can't talk about the history of drag racing before you have to have a chapter on Ed Pink. And you really can't talk about uh, USAC open wheel racing and short tracks without talking about and having a chapter with Steve Lewis and, and Nine Racing. So we're very appreciative that these two uh, gentlemen will spend their time with us today. And we're going to talk about uh, team owner and engine builder and how to develop our winning relationship. But we're also just going to talk about uh, racing history. I'm your host, John Kilroy, and I'm chief of content and audience development for ePartrade. And if you like this webinar that we're doing and some of the ones we've done in the past, I want to invite you to uh, Online Race Industry Week, November 30th through December 4th, Monday through Friday. Uh, we're in a situation in the racing industry where the SEMA show has been canceled, the PRI show has been canceled due to the pandemic. And right now, the whole industry needs an online strategy to get through this year. And ePartray has been doing it for two years already. Hundreds of companies have already built out showcases uh, online on the ePartrade platform. And what we're going to do is have eight hours a day, Monday through Friday, of webinars for business in, insights and education and also uh, technical uh, web, uh, webinars. So that week, you can solve technical issues for your race team, your race shop, also gain business insights to increase revenue and profits. It's going to be a hell of a week. We'll be doing this. So just sign in once and you can be at every webinar. And then for the all-important 2021 product introductions, you go to epartrade.com and, and we'll be having them there. The theme of Online Race Industry Week is all together now. And we could do this. We can have a trade show experience, but it'll be safe because it'll be online and we can all gather together. The one thing we haven't figured out yet is how to press a button and, and buy each other beers. So uh, we, we don't have St. Elmo's, but a lot of other stuff, we, we could do that week. So join us. Uh, quick housekeeping notes on what we're doing. All webinar attendees are on mute and um, just want to let you know that. And also you can ask questions. So there's a chat button at the bottom and you can go there and type in your questions and I'll be reading them and we'll get to as many questions as we can throughout the webinar. If you're having problems with Zoom, uh, I'm sorry, we can't help you right this minute and you just have to kind of keep going to Zoom and, and trying to work it out. We're gonna record this uh, video and uh, then we're gonna make it available for viewing afterwards. Everybody that's watching will send you a password so you and the guys at the shop can all view it. And then ePartrade, just so everybody knows, it's an online, it's a robust online platform for sourcing racing technology and suppliers. And uh, the racing industry needs an online presence. There's 25,000 racing organizations that we put at your fingertips. And uh, when I first tried it, I remember, and I'm not a computer guy, but I just remember pressing the buttons and, and looking around. And, and very quickly, I felt like I was shopping the world for uh, race, uh, racing technology. So give it a shot, it works and it's fun. So um, our speakers again, uh, Ed Pink and Steve Lewis, and we'll talk about a lot of stuff. Uh, Ed's just famous for drag racing and engines, the old master. And I didn't know this, but Ed went on to work for Cosworth and, and, and worked on Indy 500 cars. So there's, there's maybe still more about Ed that you don't know, Porsche IMSA cars. And, and Steve uh, was the founder of uh, PRI and I worked with Steve for over 20 years, and I, I never had a boss that worked harder than me and a, and a friend that worked harder than me. And, and we worked side by side for over 20 years, and I was with him. And then uh, we, he raised a family, I raised a family, and time went by. And oh, by the way, Steve also won 10 USAC National Midget Championships during that time. And I never could figure out how Steve had the time to do all that, and, and I didn't because I was right there. So before we get to Ed, Steve, there's a very special time in uh, automotive history, a very special time uh, in California automotive history where guys came back from World War II and they just started hot running their cars. And here in Detroit kind of owned the car business and Detroit said, you have your choice of 30 cars. And the hot runners in California, the young guys just said, wait a minute. I want my car to be faster than anything coming out of Detroit. I want my car to be cooler than anything coming out of Detroit. And, and I want my car to kind of describe who I am. And Steve, before we talk to Ed, why don't you set the stage? 
What was your viewpoint there about hot riding uh, in uh, Southern California? Well, actually, Ed was could a answer this question a little bit better, but I was a kid that had, was raised in a family where cars weren't that important. But to me, they were important. But I wasn't raised in an area or in a, in a family atmosphere where hot rodding was kind of something that they wanted me to do. So I kind of vicariously uh, learned about hot rodding through the Peters, uh, Bob Peterson's book, Hot Rod. And that was the Bible. You know, I had very early subscription to that and read them from cover to cover and read about people like our esteemed guest up here, Ed. So I kind of did more of a vicarious thing, except the situation that I would, I don't know how this all fits into what we're going to be talking about today. But one situation when I was just barely 20, 21, I had a life changing experience that where I was allowed to participate in, a, in racing with the Don Horvath and Joe Horvath midget program at that time. And do you want to, do I, do you want to hear that now or do you want to, or do you want to wait on that one? Yeah, let's, let's get to midgets a little bit later. Okay. And then uh, I'll, I'll turn it to Ed. Ed, but before we get to you as the old master, there was a young Ed Pink in LA who just wanted to go fast. How'd you get started in hot rodding? Well, when I first started, you know, I was probably uh, 15 years old and I couldn't have a driver's license. And most of my buddies were older than I was. And uh, they all had roast, you know, they had 29 roadster, 32 roadster, uh, nothing like what you see today. And, you know, right away I was hooked. And, uh, and that one, that first, the first car I bought was a Model T. 1922 Model T four-door sedan, where where we were living at the time, there was a older family living up on top of the hill, and every time I'd ride my bike by there, their garage was open, and there was this Model T sitting there. And one day I had I got enough nerve to go and ask the, the gentleman that lived there uh, what they were going to do with that Model T because I never see it leave the garage, and he told me they were going to sell it. So they, and this was really a nice Model T. I mean, it had been taken care of really well. They sold it to me for fifty dollars. Wow. They that would be that would car would be a lot worth a lot more than fifty dollars. So I got the car. I had no driver's license, so I had to uh, park it a ways away from my house, and I didn't drive it. All I did was work on it, and I kind of taught myself how to work on it. On a, on a car at that particular time. That, that's fantastic. And then uh, you, you made it out to uh, El Mirage then to, to, to do some of the racing? Well, I, was, I started in El Mirage. Uh, I was probably 17 years old. Wow. Yeah, I made 17. I, I had my first job. Uh, I worked for my dad in the paint business. I worked for him uh, whenever he needed me, but when he didn't need me, I went to work for Lou Bainey. And Lou had a uh, gold needle gas station in Los Angeles. And uh, the front was a typical gas station with the gas pumps and so forth. In the back was the, uh, the toilet, men's and women's toilet. Well, we didn't have any women there. So we took the woman's toilet, we took the commode out of it in the sink, and we put, made that our parts room. And uh, the, uh, the and the place was called Hot Rod Heaven. And there was a, 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 a journalist by the name of Lewis Hodgman back in that day that decided he wanted to do a book on Lou's shop, which he did do. And there were pictures that, uh, were in the book that he took that had uh, Eskey was there, uh, Jack McGrath was there, Emmanuel Ayulo, those were longtime IndyCar drivers from way back. Unfortunately, they're not with us today. But, uh, and he named the article Hot Rod Heaven. And, uh, and the funny thing is that uh, he named me in the article as Blue Baby Star Mechanic. Well, I was the only mechanic, and I wasn't much a mechanic because I was learning. I was under Lou's tutelage 
do there. And uh, that's kind of where I kind of got started in the industry. That's really cool. And, and then, uh, Steve, when we talked to you about doing this webinar, you kind of kept repeating to us that you want Ed to be the featured act. And so now we'll kind of work our way up to 1965. And uh, what were you talking about when you talked about Ed the featured act and what was going on in 1965 that we want to address here? I've had a lot of jobs over the years, worked with a lot of different things in the automotive business. I worked in tune-up shops, engine rebuilding shops, and uh, general repair shops. I worked uh, Cadillac Agency on Wilshire Boulevard, and uh, I got fired from there because they, they told me I was spending too much time on the job. But in the same token, I had people when they come in with their Cadillacs to have them repaired, they asked for me. They wanted me to do the work on it. Wow. But, I, you know, I wasn't making them any money because I was spending too much time. And I wasn't making money myself. And uh, so at that particular time, uh, I, I had worked I worked with Louis, uh, Eddie Meyer for a, a couple of years. I worked for Frank Barron, who... Uh, Frank Barron was in partners with Bob Tattersfield making early Ford flathead equipment. And uh, for when I worked at Eddie Meyer, uh, he, he raced a midget and uh, uh, he and he had a regular repair business on the side. And uh, I worked for Anson. So, you know, I, I kind of got a basic knowledge of what's going on. I worked for a lot of people. And uh, Finally, I, and I, decided, I opened up my own shop, and it was a general repair shop, and I hated it uh, because people would come in and they'd grind you on price and so forth. I remember one time uh, a guy came in and said to me that uh, he needed a new alternator on his car. And I said, maybe I ought to check it first to make sure that it needs an alternator. He said, no, no, I know it needs an alternator. I said, okay, and he left. I lifted up the car, up the hood rather, and looked under there. And the, the problem with the alternator is the wire came disconnected. So I took the alternator off the engine, cleaned it all up, put it back on, hooked the wire up, and worked fine, charging for an alternator. <laughs> but I had to work on it. So anyway, uh, I, hate, I hated that business, the repair business. And uh, I slowly got into the engine business, and in 1959 uh, is when I opened up uh, Ed Fink Racing Engines. And I had three customers. I had uh, Tony Nancy, yeah. Tommy Ivo, wow. and John Masmania. And I wow. wasn't building engines for him. I was doing machine, machine work for him. And I remember uh, Tommy Ivo, his, uh, he had a Cadillac, and a big old four-door sedan, and his mother would cut, I, and he, I, I was living in Los Angeles, and he's out in the valley in, in Burbank, and his mother would come meet with a Cadillac in the back loaded with blocks, and cylinder heads, and rods, and that kind of stuff that they needed work done. And I'd get the Cadillac unloaded and get the work done, and then she'd come back a week or two later whenever everything was done and pick it up. And uh, Masmanian, uh, the work we did for them, they would bring it to me, and I'd do it, they'd pick it up. Where Tony Nancy, uh, he's a one-man band like I was, so and he and I were really good friends, so I would go to his shop in Sherman Oaks, pick up whatever he wanted done, bring it back to my place, do it, then bring it to him. And finally, one day, he said, Ed, you know, why don't you move out to the valley? And I thought, well, you know, why? He said, well, there's, you get more business, there's more people out here that are drag racing and street racing and so forth, that you get more business than where you're, you're at in, in LA. So I thought about it. Anyway, I decided, okay, I'm going to make a move. And uh, so his uh, little uh, facility there in Sherman Oaks, they had a, one shop that was vacant. At that time, he had uh, he, he was there with his upholstery business, and then he had uh, uh, 
uh, Wayne Ewing there that was a body guy that built aluminum bodies mostly for Indy cars. And then Kent Horn was there with his chassis business. So then he had me there in the engine business. And, uh, and, and Tony and I became very, very good friends. And uh, uh, I was doing a little bit of drag racing, but I wanted to uh, get my drag racing business going better. I was trying to figure out what to do. And uh, a friend of mine introduced me to Don Long. And Don Long was pretty well in the same boat I was. He, he, he was busy, but not really busy. He hadn't made his mark yet in drag racing, and I hadn't made my mark yet. So we decided to get together. He said, I have ideas on a, on a drag car that I'd like to do. And I'll build the car, you first the engine, you race it, I don't want to be involved in the racing of it, you, you handle it. And we'll see what we can do. So anyway, he built the car and we built the engine, put it in and that from the, and the, the first person I had drive the car, uh, it, you know, this is so long ago, some of it is a little fuzzy in my memory, but uh, the first driver was Mike Snyder and he had never driven a top fuel car before. Wow. He drove her uh, fellow out in... Uh, Bill Scott, Scotty's Muffler. Scotty's Muffler, right. He drove her Scotty's Muffler, and uh, uh, it was a gas dragster. But anyway, he came to drive the car for me. So here we got a brand-new chassis, and me, a brand-new engine guy for drag racing, and a new driver. And we went out, and uh, we were very, very fortunate. The thing ran like a top. Smiley was right on the ball in his driving, and we won a lot of races. And that uh, that car pretty well uh, set Don Long in the chassis business, and it pretty well made my mark in the uh, drag racing business. And talk about Bakersfield, the, the March meet at Bakersfield, 1965. Yeah, that uh, yeah, that was quite a deal. That uh, they had, I believe, they had 128 entries, and what they did is they ran everybody on Saturday, and uh, we, we yeah, that's the car. And anyway, we we ran Saturday. I forgot. I think we had seven or eight elimination races, and we won every race. And we got up to the last race, which was against Garland, and he, he beat us. And then what they did is the car that won on Saturday got to sit out everything on Sunday. But being we were runner-up, we had to do it all over again on Sunday, and which we did, and we got up to the last deal where we had to race the winner from Saturday, which was Garland, and he beat us. So, and the best part is we never had the heads off that engine the whole day. That, that's amazing, Ed. And, uh, and that's 120 cars. Those were top fuel cars. So 120 top fuel cars all in one meet. Uh, that's just fantastic. And then for you to beat everybody two days in a row, except for Garlis, but, but Garlis got a buy the whole day on Sunday. That was just amazing. And the photo I have up now is, is kind of a, a day from Bakersfield. And uh, that's your crew celebrating, beating everybody except for Garlis. Yeah, we beat everybody with Garlis. And uh, we, won, we won the best, uh, I think we, we won the Outstanding Performance of the Meat Award. That's what that trophy's for. Wow. Wow. That's still big today. And I've read where Garlis called that his favorite win of all time was that 1965 Bakersfield meet. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and then you uh, beat him the next race. Yeah, the next weekend they had uh, a big championship race in Fremont, California, and we followed him up there. And we whooped on him. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then Steve... You were a young man at that time, and then do you remember that that meet? Do you remember that happening? Yep, uh, I was actually at the first smokers meet 
uh, when uh, Art Crispin actually beat Garlitz. That was, that was in 59, I think, Ed? Yeah, 59. And so that, I, that, was, I, that was the most amazing. I, I lay in bed at night and visualized the place was packed, literally packed. And they just ran dragsters all day long. And it was the sun was setting and then an art came up the line and Garlitz came up the line and then and art beat beat him. And that was quite a quite a moment for me. Uh, and but also for drag racing, I think there, it was kind of an open comp deal. People could run run with you brung and and uh, this was sort of a, to me really something very special to have been witnessing. I witnessed. Yeah, that's something. And then before we get to the midgets, one more thing, Ed, is I don't know if everybody knows, you went on to work for Cosworth and worked on Indy 500 motors. How'd that come about? Well, uh, back in the drag racing day, uh, it got to the point that as the, as the races went on, it was getting more professional and more professional all the time. And there's more sponsorship coming in. And as the more sponsorship came in, there was more money available. So consequently, the teams were hiring better, more qualified people. Uh, they were starting to build their own engines. Uh, they were buying all the parts themselves. Uh, and I can see my business was slowly dwindling. And uh, I was still building a few engines. Uh, we were selling a few parts, but I spent a lot of time on the phone talking to people, uh, really giving them advice. What, you know, they have a problem, what do you do here? What do you do there? How do you fix this? And I never learned how to charge for that. And uh, I had a real good friend that worked at Bell's Party Jones. And uh, one day he came in to me and he said, uh, we need some machine work done. And we're going to put a, we, they've been running off of you. And they, they went to Bill's uh, Party Jones. I don't know who, who the one that was the uh, instigator there, but they went to Cosworth and they said, what they'd like to do is take the DFV engine, which is 183 inch four cam engine that's a Formula One engine and they wanted to convert it to an Indian which means they would have to drop it down to 161 cubic inches and it would be turbocharged on methanol where the DFB Formula One engines gasoline and normally aspirated and the people at Cosworth looked at it and said never work never work we want to be any part of it so people at uh, Bell's Party Jones went back to, to the shop. And they, they had some good people. They had uh, Mike John was working there at the time, and uh, Tiki Hiroshima was working there, and Larry Slaughter. And they said, it can be done. We can do it. So they took the, because they were running Formula One at the time, so they had the DFV engine. Wow. So they converted the DFV engine. And they had a few problems uh, with various parts. And that's when this fellow came to me and said, can you fix some of this stuff? So basically we had connecting rods to do for them. Uh, block needed to be line board on the main bearings. And there was nobody when there in that day, uh, if they had to have a block line board, they had to send it to England to have it done. By the time you do all that, I mean, you're looking at months yeah. tied up in the cost for doing it with it astronomically. So we built all the tooling so that we could line bore the Cosworth block. And pretty soon, you know, we're doing a lot of the work uh, for them, not building their engines. They built their own engines. We were just doing machine work for them on various parts that they had problems with. And uh, then it got to the point where they got it all together and they won some races. And when they won these races, Cosmo said, oh, look at that. That thing does work. Maybe we better look at it. So they looked at it and they, that's when they made the DFX engine. 
the actual engine for Indy, but basically it's a replica of the DFB engine just made for Indianapolis. And they, so anyway, they did the engine and uh, they hired a few people away from Bell's Barley Jones to go to work for them in, in England. And then they opened up a facility here in California, in Torrance. The only problem with that facility was they had no dyno, and they had no machine to do anything with. So they knew that I had been doing some machine work for Bell's Barley Jones. They called me on the phone and said, would you uh, like to do a line boring on our blocks for us? I said, sure. And, and would you like to do the connecting rods for us? Yes. So we're doing the blocks, machine work on the blocks. We're doing connecting rods for them. And we're doing uh, cylinder heads, valve seats, and valve guides, and valve jobs, and that sort of thing. And then they called me one day and said, uh, we'd like to run our engines on your dyno. So I said, fine. So we started running their engines on the dyno. So now we're running their engines on the dyno. We're uh, doing machine work for them. So I had a very good relationship going on with Cosworth. And then we still had a bit of drag racing we were doing. And uh, one day they called me again from Cosworth and said, uh, we'd like you to rebuild these engines. I said to them, you know, we haven't done any of those. I said, who, what indie owner is going to come to a drag racer and have him say, we want you to build our Indian. Yeah. They told me, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. People will come to you. So I said, okay. And I said, but the problem is, we hadn't done a Cosmo. We've done machine work on them. We're familiar with the parts, but doing an engine is a whole different story. No problem. We'll send you Chicky. Chicky Hiroshima was the engine guy. I mean, he was something special. So they sent Chucky to me for two weeks and he put our guys through school. And the next thing we know, we got customers we're doing Indy engines for the Cosworth engine. And as we're as I'm going along business wise, the drag racing thing for me was getting smaller and the IndyCar thing was getting bigger. And it got to the point that I needed to make up my mind whether I was gonna do the IndyCar engine or drag racing. I made the decision, IndyCar is the way I want to go. And I left it, that was 1980. And I let the drag racing thing go. And I just concentrated on IndyCar. And uh, at one time we had six teams when they take an engine, build an engine for. Amazing, it. And uh, in 1980s, we were doing engines for Alonso Sr., we did them for uh, Spike Gilhausen, we did them for Jose Garza, we did them for Tim Richmond. Uh, a lot, a lot of them, I can't remember all the people we did engines for, but Tom Sneva, in fact, Sneva won India in 1983 with our engine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I just, I've just been lucky. I've been at the right place at the right time. And uh, and I, I, I take care of my customers. And uh, yeah. that's kind of the IndyCar story. That's great. And, and I'm going to go back to Steve Lewis. And so, Steve, I'm going to put up that picture of uh, you and the crew kind of right early and your start in racing. So... Can you see that, Steve? Oh, no, we can, we can have a contest here. Which one's me? The one that looks exactly like your son. <laughs> okay, there, there, this is an interesting photo. Um, the man on the far left was uh, Shim Malone. He sold cars at Vells Parnell, and he was also the starter at Ascot. And unfortunately, he was in that awful USAC plane crash. And then the next man is Don Edmonds. And this is his first midget that he built. This is 0001. And Don at the time was working for Bill Thomas race cars in Anaheim on the Cheetah project, but he, he knew that that was going to come to an end and he wanted to have a, a future in racing. And so he went to Don Horvath and th this car was built. He went to Horvath 
in the, the 1962 uh, Thanksgiving Grand Prix where we weren't doing very well and told Don, went up to him and says, I can build you a car to win with. And that was in the fall of uh, November of 62. He built the car and this is April of 1963. So his prognosis was right. And this was the first win. This car won eight races in two years. And this man right here in the, uh, next to Don is Sonny Meyer. Sonny was the son of Louis Meyer, and at that time they were the Meyer Drake. Oh, they owned the Offenhauser engine company, and it had a little Meyer Drake Offy, and Sonny built the engine. And for me, this was a very, very important situation because I saw the value. I saw how this whole thing worked, and that Don Edmonds had a vested interest in that car, and he wanted it to be good, and he did everything humanly possible during the, the, the evening to make sure that the car was right chassis wise. And after every session, Sonny would look at the engine and, and every decision whether to uh, make a gear change or a jet change was all done only by Sonny. And I saw the beauty of a really good driver in a really good car and with a really good engine man. And that was indelibilized in my mind and because that car won a lot of races there at a two year period. So this is kind of how I got my start and also my education uh, from some very bright people because I was just basic, I was a stooge at that time and, and was told to do things in, from the stooge perspective. But I, I saw the beauty of it and, and that it, again, it indelibilized in my mind. If I ever wanted to race, I wanted to be a house, I wanted to be involved with an engine man and a chassis builder because I felt that would be the best way for us to have success. And then let's jump ahead uh, to you're racing with a Cosworth or an Earl Gertie engine. And it's one of the most amazing things watching you as a team owner. Because a lot of times you had a very successful program put together. Uh, and, and then a, a lot of other teams kind of would get a similar program. And then you would take a risk and move on. And I thought that was always amazing to me, Steve. Okay. Uh we had a very successful program going with Bob East and the Beast cars. And then that was all started with Stanley Fox. And then Earl Gertie wanted to get into the midget business. So we were, we were kind of there and, and Earl played a key role uh, with his program and in, in, in that little four cylinder uh, midget engine. It was a Chevrolet head and a road deck block and, and uh, that all worked. But, but for Earl, he, he spent a lot of time on those engines but his real, the boy he was making the money was on the 410 sprint car engines. And I think it got to a point where it, it was more important for him to be doing that. And then, so we got to a point where we were racing pretty much Gertie had, had the engine, had the main event and probably mostly Gertie's. Yeah. And uh, Bob, he was always very clever of wanting to find every way for an advantage, Bob East. And so we had a discussion over the phone that we need to look for an engine program. And we talked to a number, number of builders and Ed was on the list. And Ed, we called Ed and he came down to the shop, probably I think it was 1994, our shop in Laguna Beach and we had a car there and he came down and he had a notebook and he went in and just went up from head to toe of the car. And he said he would be interested and that eventually we would have a meeting and talk, but he had, this was his, the first time that Ed came to our shop and, a, and it was just a more of a preliminary meeting. But then at the same time, uh, we had uh, Paige Jones would race for us at certain times during the 1994 season. And uh, Parnelli, we, he just said, Steve, he said, geez, I have these connections with Ford. When I see Paige roaring around in that little, with that Chevy, I just, he says, that he just didn't feel good. And so he contacted Don Vesco to, to do an engine for Page, a Ford engine, so that every time we ran Page, we'd take the Gertie out and we put the Vesco Ford in. And that what, so we, one time we had an engine built, it was like an engine builder convention because Vesco would come and work on the engine when Page was in the car. And we had Earl working on the engine when Fox was in the car. So that was kind of interesting. But we found that the little Fesco engine, we could, Paige qualified well, he'd win a heat race, and about halfway in the main event, it kind of a, 
go into the, an explosion and we'd never finished the main event with that engine. And then when Paige got hurt there at Eldora, uh, we took the engine out and uh, I ended up back in my shop in Laguna Beach. And so I called Parnelli one day and said, I want to bring your engine back. And I'm driving up the freeway heading to Parnelli's and he said, no, I don't want that engine, it's yours. So I'm halfway up, so I call Ed and I say, Ed, I got something I want to show you. It's in the back of my Suburban. So I drive on up to Van Nuys and back up, back the car, back up against Ed's building and open up the rear door of the Suburban and wedged between two Hoosier tires was this Fesco Ford engine. And uh, Ed came out and I watched Ed and I didn't see much reaction of positive about anything. And he said, well, uh, let me look at this thing and I don't know what you want to do with it, but we can't do anything until I look at it. And you need to hear his side of the story now because I dropped the engine off at Ed's and then you can, Ed can tell you kind of what happened next. What was your first impression, Ed, when you saw that motor? Right. Now, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus here. <laughs> you know, Don Vesco, I like him. He was, he, he, you know, he was, I liked him. He was a good guy. Uh, I remember when uh, the Ford first came into into uh, prominence, you might say. Uh, a good friend of mine that was on Steve's crew, by the name of uh, Mike Reed, they were going to uh, What's, what race is it back there, Steve, that uh, I may? Belleville. Belleville. Yeah, thank you. Anyway, they're going to Belleville, and they're going to run the Ford at Belleville. And Mike Reed got there, and he looked at the track, and it's high bank all the way around. I mean, it's an engine killer. And he looked at it, and I guess he made the comment to somebody, there's no way that engine will last. And they tried to run Belleville with it. And I guess they went through every engine you had and never even got into the race. They never got past practice and qualifying and loaded it up and went, oh, is that true? Yes. Okay. So Mike Reed told me this story. So when Steve said, he, he called me and said he wanted to run a Ford brought that engine up. Well, we got it all apart and uh, it was a Ford, but uh, it, I guess the best way to say it, it wasn't the way we do it. And uh, so Steve said to me, uh, I'm trying to say this without banging anybody because I like Don Vesco and I, and you know, you don't gain anything by bad no, I don't think that's, I, I, no. I don't think there should be a problem. I don't have to get put in that spot, but it, it needed a complete different uh, version of it done. And uh, Steve said, can you do it? And will you do it? And I said, yes, we can do it. Is that right, Steve? Yeah. Did, did that have the Yates head? No. Oh. Uh -huh. I don't remember what head. No, one, one, no, the one good thing that we didn't, I didn't know to the degree of good, but you did because you saw right away it had that Robert Yates uh, NASCAR head on there. No, it didn't. It didn't? No. Oh, okay. And then what happened next, Steve? Uh, Ed finished a Ford engine and you tested it out? Okay, no. So Ed told me, I'll do this project, but you can never ask me when it's going to be done. <laughs> and, then, and then we had the 95 season and we had the Gerties. So Ed, we brought the Gerties to Ed and we only had two of them and we were running uh, Jay Drake and Tony Stewart then and uh, two car effort with only two engines. And so the, they got frequent flyer miles going back and forth from Indianapolis to, to Los Angeles. Uh, and Tony won the championship 
in uh, 95 in, with a Gertie. But Ed was developing the Ford, but we could never ask when it would be ready. <laughs> we were hoping it'd be ready pretty soon. When we started on the engine, basically, we built a whole new engine, a whole new Ford engine. And I was very friendly with Robert Yates at the time. And uh, I was the one that got the Robert Yates head. Oh, okay. Okay. And that we got, that he gave us is the one he was running on the, on the NASCAR Cup engine. And uh, anyway, from the time that we started on the engine, it was actually ready to uh, go in the race car nine months. Wow. And uh, we did a lot of, without getting into all the technical things, we did a lot of neat things to the engine that hadn't been done before for a midget. And uh, most of the girdies that we ran on our, our, our dyno, the ones that Steve was running, made between 260 and 265 horsepower. And we had heard stories uh, throughout the, the uh, circuit that uh, the Gertie engine made 300 horsepower, 320 horsepower, 315 horsepower, all these guys. But the ones that we had were 260, 265. And they won their share of the races with the ones we had. And uh, so consequently, as far as I'm concerned, we were looking at 260, 265 And when we got the first board done up on the dyno and ran it just the way we originally put it together, uh, it made 300 horsepower. Wow. And I knew that we had a, a good one. So the first time the car ran was at Phoenix on the mile. And uh, we all we had Kenny Irwin driving the car, right, Steve? Yep. We almost won the I got race. a photo of Kenny. I'll put that up with, with the car. That was taken uh, right as we unloaded there on the usually unloaded Copper World on a Wednesday or Thursday, and uh, Mike Arthur took this photo of Kenny with our one little Ford. We had one Ford, and Kenny almost won the race. He would have, the only problem is that uh, coming off of uh, going into turn three, going by on the, the last lap, on the very last lap. Leading, he was leading the race. There was a slower car below him that he was right behind it, and there was a car on the side of it, and he couldn't, so he couldn't move out of the way. Oh, God. And, uh, and the other car won, and, and uh, Kenny was in second. And then, Steve, you, you told me about the dyno numbers for the, 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 the Ford motor when it got developed by Ed, and, and you took the dyno numbers to, uh, I think, the SEMA show. Is that right? No, no. Here's what happened. Uh, in the, it was late, like I would say October, November of 65, Ed called me, it was a week before the SEMA show, and Ed called me, he says, Steve, we have your Ford on the dyno, and uh, he took three Polaroids, Polaroids now. This is no iPhone, we took Polaroids then. Yeah. And, and he hand wrote my address on the envelope and sent the three, so two days later at the PRI office, Ed Pink envelope comes with three Polaroids, the day before we went to SEMA. So uh, I put them in my wallet or somewhere. And uh, sometime during the first day of the SEMA show, I went into the Ford booth. And at that time, Lee Morse was the director of racing. And so I thought this is something he might want to know what we're doing. And I kind of wanted to let Ford know what we're doing and maybe there would be, that would entice them into being involved in, in helping us a little bit. So I asked Ed permission to do that. And he said, okay. And I had no idea the reaction, I had no idea what kind of reaction I was gonna get with my three Polaroids. So I went in to the booth and I asked somebody in a, that had a Ford shirt on, I said, 
I, I said, I have something I want to show you, and, and, and I would like to talk to Lee Morse about it. So I pulled out these three Polaroids, and the guy looked at them, and he grabbed them. He says, I'll be right back. So my Polaroids leave. And I'm standing there in the Ford booth, and then pretty soon uh, Lee Morse came from wherever he was. They had a little mezzanine office up, upstairs. And he said, uh, we would like to have, have a meeting right now and uh, talk to you about this. So now he's got my Polaroids. So we go up and there was a guy named Hank Derson, another Ford man, uh, Lee Hampkins, Lee Morris, and a couple other guys. And they said, tell us about what this is. And so I explained that Ed Pink developed this motor and it's got a Robert Yates head and we're gonna run it in a midget and, and hopefully the, in the, ni you know, the 1966 season or 65 season. And it, the irony of it is that Lee Morris said, well, I just wrote a memo to all my directors and managers that we need to get Ford uh, prominence in grassroots racing. And I walk in with Polaroids of this four cylinder midget engine. So uh, in that meeting, they wanted to talk to Ed. And so in that right, Ed, they, we, they, they called, we called right from that yeah. meeting called Ed. And Ed told them what we were doing. And so we kind of consummated a deal where they provided some help. Uh, and that's kind of the beginning of that. Well, it's, a, it's an awesome story. It's, it's fun if somebody wrote in the, the chat questions that, that this is priceless to be able to go behind the curtains. And then I, I just, we, we can't talk to you for hours, so we're going to run out of time. Ed, I, I want to ask you, you've worked with so many team owners over the years, and the team owners want everything, and they want it yesterday. And you have a wonderful way of, of being very frank with them. But what kind of philosophy have you developed in terms of communicating with team owners? Ed? Well, the, the biggest thing is that I found, at least my philosophy in doing business is that the engine business is a very unique business because you get to know your customers really well. And it's very important to know them well because you get to learn about them. You, you learn what makes them happy and what makes them unhappy and, and uh, what they expect out of you and how they expect it and so forth. And uh, it makes life a lot easier for me. And uh, uh, throughout the years in, in all the forms of racing that, that uh, I've been involved with, with in drag racing and the midgets and the silver crown, the sprint cars and the Indy cars and, and the uh, off-road racing and sports car with the Porsches. You know, that was the philosophy I had and I, so I have a lot of good friends today from, from the racing over the years. And uh, uh, I always let them know kind of what's going on. But uh, when they got into a development program, I never really gave them a deadline when I could do it. Now, I, I know that uh, that probably wouldn't make it today, in today's world, but we're not talking about today's world. We're talking about yesterday. And, uh, and I tried to make sure that I always gave them 100% effort. And that, that was easy because I enjoyed it. I, I, I liked, I loved what I was doing. And, uh, and I liked the people I was doing it for. So consequently, Ed, can I say something? Oh, uh, Ed, those engines, we went over 100 features with those, with those engines. And uh, Ed told me one time, he said, I know you own these engines, but, but they're really my engines. And he had worked with Bob and they, they worked together, going back to that picture that we, that Ascot picture, that Ed and Bob worked together really well. And, uh, and with the testing and everything, and, and he, he helped us a lot with some things that we need you know, on, on, in the engine department. And as a result, we had a really good little team that with everyone's pointed, were pointed in the right direction. And as a, as a result, we had a lot of success. And I'd like to talk to you, Steve, about that. Um, you know, sometimes in the racing industry, we, we think it's all about parts. And we talk about winning races, we think of parts. But I think it's about people at the end of the day. 
And it's about people who work hard, people who aren't afraid to take a risk, uh, people who think about, about racing night and day. And the people who think about racing once in a while, they're not going to win championships. You know, they're just not going to get there. So, Steve, as a, as a team owner, you know, could you just kind of wrap up your philosophy, either choosing engine builders, car builders, or how, I mean, even drivers, spectacular drivers with, uh, you know, uh, guys who went on to win NASCAR championships. Well, it goes back to that photograph because in that photograph, there was Sonny Meyer. And then in, in the victory lanes, we had an Earl Gertie or we had uh, Ed Pink was in the picture. And then Don Edmonds, we had uh, Bob East became the Don Edmonds of the program. So we had these people that had vested interests. You know, Bob wanted to sell cars and, and he, we had to perform. And Ed wanted to sell engines and we had to perform. So having those men with their knowledge and their vested interest, my job was more of a coordinating job then because of I, the last thing I want to do is was botch up what they were doing so well so I did more of the coordinating uh, from the driver's perspective uh, there was a variety of, of, of reasons we had the certain drivers you know Fox was initially my first driver so he he was involved initially and then we each you know uh, Kenny Irwin was it Tony Stewart won the championship and uh 95 but he he told he told us that we should put kenny in the car so kenny came as a result of tony uh we had jason leffler we we had dave darlin we had you know casey kane yeah casey kane that, that was it we had all these so then we kind of had the opportunity to get these guys at a very young age and we had the program and and it they worked worked out well i'll say okay steve i gotta show your midget so uh, everybody's going to want to see this. We can't uh, end this without showing the midget. This is so the, Corvath, the Corvath midget. The Wait, let me get it. Here we go. This is a very, uh, it's a reconstruction of the very first Don Evans built. And you have the uh, one, do you have the original uh, midget, the four color one with uh, Don sitting in it? Yeah. So this is, this is, we just finished this thing. Let me get it. Alrighty. The there zoom. Hold on. So they shut us off. Now that's the original car and everything's exactly the same. I mean, it, you like, like to put the restored car or the reconstructed car next to this car and you couldn't, I don't think you can tell which one's which. That's a beautiful car. Okay, and then Steve, I just kind of want to open the door to another subject. You're, you're a genius when it comes to trade shows and trade media, trade media, and we're offering uh, online race industry week at EPAR Trade is, and and not to replace in-person trade shows at all, but just to give everybody an opportunity to gather together online where it's safe in this year of the pandemic. And then you've seen EPAR trade and function as a platform for sourcing technology. Um, kind of, do you have any thoughts to share about what no, we're doing? I, I do. I first, uh, right now, I'm kind of glad I'm not in the trade show business because it's really hard because all these cities, we just, you can't have a convention where you're bringing people in. There's, social distancing doesn't work at a trade show. So uh, I, I think what you and Francisque, and Judy and everyone that's worked so hard. I think you're giving the industry an alternative, a viable alternative uh, to continue their the messaging they want to their customers uh, because it's actually, uh, it, 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 it's an efficient way for a manufacturer or a distributor of racing products to get access to his primary customer base and I think what you and Francisco are doing right now is going to let them continue on. And obviously, the, the trade show is the better place to be at that moment. But I think your platform is going to give the racing manufacturers and the racing industry, as, and as well the buyers. I mean, you know, there, there's a lot of engine builders that still need parts and they have questions or need technical information. And, and ePart Trade does provide that opportunity efficiently very efficiently for them to get the information they need, not only here in the United States, 
but worldwide. And 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 uh, I was blessed to have the opportunity to, when, when Michael was racing in Europe, to to see some of the teams over there and how they operate. And there's the, the racing over there. There's still a lot of opportunity, and they they're always searching for something. How how can we make this thing better? And that ePart Trade platform for the European, the Jap, the Asian markets, Australia, it provides the ability for them with their keyboard to get direct access to uh, the, the racing parts that they need. So I, I think right now you can provide a very good service for the industry. Well, thanks so much, Steve. That, that means a lot coming from you. And then you are a mentor for uh, 20 years or more. We learned a lot from you. And, and uh, you know, what we learned is this, figure out first what's right for the racing industry and everything else will follow. So that's the path we're on. Thank you. Um, that makes us, makes us feel good. And, and then I'll kind of close it out. We're running out of time, but we have a, a question. We have a couple questions here. I'm sorry we didn't get to them, but um, let me see. This one's for you, Ed. Uh, so many years of racing history and building great motors. Um, do you have a special one that stands out in your memory, Ed? And what motor or build would that be? One that wins. The what? The one that wins. Yeah. That's my favorite engine. <laughs> uh, that, that's how you got to where you are. Ed, uh, do, uh, can we go one minute over or do you, or does Zoom? We, Steve, uh, there's no rules here. Okay, Ed, what was something very special that would happen on Monday morning after a race feature win? What, what, what happened up in, in uh, Van Nuys? Yeah, well, that's the problem. There's, there's, show isn't long enough because there's so much stuff you and I can talk about that people would, would get a kick out of hearing. The, the big thing is that every time we won a midget race, which Steve Starr won a midget race, on Monday we would get this huge box in and it would be full of chips. And there was a Mexican uh, El Toro Bravo and yeah, food company out near Laguna Beach where he lives that made these wonderful chips. And he would send us all chips. I mean, I had 15, 16 people working for me. And salsa. And there'd be a bag of chips with salsa and a bag of chips for everybody that worked for me. We called them victory chips. Victory chips, that was, that was a big deal. Yeah, we love going to work on Monday mornings and seeing victory chips there in the break yeah. room. So it, it meant a lot to the whole crew. Most oh, always was our victory chip. Um, person that did all that. And you were the one, yeah. yeah. Hey, I'd like to tell you one little tidbit before you close off. This has to do with Steve's midget. Back in the day when he just had one, we were building four Ford midgets for him. We, when we had the first engine done, other, he had other drivers in it. And when Tony Stewart would just drive occasionally at this particular moment in his career for us, and he would get the Gertie. And uh, one race, he got the Ford. And I remember after he drove the Ford, he got out of the car and he told Steve and Bob East, you guys have been screwing me. <laughs> but also, didn't Tony, <laughs> we had a test session with Tony, and he also gave you very good feedback on, on how that thing, you know, would pull oh, off. Absolutely, absolutely, because this is back in, this is back in the day where there's no telemetry. Yeah. You know, you word him out. Yeah. And you ask the driver when, you, when he comes in, what's going on? And that's back in the day when the better driver could tell you more information and more accurate information. I mean, I got stories that I can tell you about IndyCar stuff that you'd fall on the ground laughing, stuff that went on. And, and a lot I, of time. And I could talk to you both for uh, hours and hours, and I think uh, all of our listeners from around the world, so this thing's opened up, and, and, and we have people from around the world here in the audience. So we're, we're getting to uh, the hour mark, and I just want to thank you both. I, I, I love hearing these stories, and it's a lot more than bench racing. I mean, it's how history got made and, and how people like yourselves we're faced with kind of an unknown world and how do I take the next step and how do I take a risk and maybe it'll pay off. 
And uh, we, we have this fabulous racing industry because of uh, people like you, Ed, and uh, people that you mentioned earlier. And then also Steve really brought, brought the racing industry all together, all different segments of it all at once to the PRI show. And so it, it's great to have you here. This was great fun. And we just kind of wrap it up in an hour, so we're just going to have to sign off. So thank you, Ed, and thank you, Steve. Oh, you. you're, you're a great moderator. You put this thing together. And uh, Francis and Judy have worked also hard on this. And it's been a fun part to be a part of your deal.